hello and welcome to episode 67 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today, we are recording on January 30th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, and I am 50% of the show. I also feel like I can actually call myself a staff writer again because I had a new review go up last night, which was my first review for a while. It's on Dishonored, Death of the Outsider, if you're interested. It is on Game Critics. But that aside, the other 50% of the show is Brad Galloway, who is the editor of Game Critics, who edited my review. How are you, Brad? I am doing just fine. In fact, I am doing much better than I was 45 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we just had a very fraught banter section. I got some stuff off my chest, so I'm feeling much better. Thank you for listening, and I am ready to roll. Yay. All right. Well, like Brad said, uh, we have some banter waiting at the end of the show. Um, it's about 30 to 40 minutes worth, so not quite the uh, banter load of last week, but it is banter nonetheless. But because this is the main show, we're going to get started with the Games Talk. Brad, do you have anything to say before we jump into games? Not at all. I'm just really looking forward to it. I'm glad that we uh, are doing this. I always look forward to this time every week. And uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all about it, man. I'm ready to go. Yay. Okay, well, last week we talked about the Monster Hunter <laughs> World beta because you and I both played it and gave some thoughts on it. And I suspect... That you have played the actual game at this point because it came out. Have you? And what do you think about it? Yes, that is correct. Um, I did jump into the full version of Monster Hunter World. Um, and I do have thoughts. I do have thoughts. Although I got to be honest with you, I was a little scattered this morning before the show. And I was like, God, should I write some notes? Should I get some impressions? Should I make a little PowerPoint for myself before we record? And I just was like, I didn't <laughs> <PowerPoint>. do anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I didn't, uh, I didn't really get anything together. I'll just kind of, I don't know, just shoot from the hip here and we'll see how it goes. So I'm kind of building off of what we talked about last week, the Monster Hunter World uh, beta. This is now the full version, just came out a couple days ago. I mean, already people are saying it is the best-selling Monster Hunter of all time. I think Capcom just reported that they had sold 5 million. Um, I don't know whether that counts like people actually buying it off the shelf and bringing it home or does that count Capcom selling to a store but either way I mean uh, even if it's even if it's the latter five million sold is already um, way above what the previous monster hunters have ever achieved so I mean that's already a big success so that's that's great news I'm really glad to hear that uh, my wife and my son and I have been uh, playing a little bit mostly me and the wife um, but we had some things to tie up first we haven't really dived in as deeply as we would have wanted to, um, we kind of wanted to finish up some things on Warframe first because I knew that we probably would be putting Warframe on the back burner for a while, and we wanted to wrap up some loose loose ends. Um, so we were doing that a little bit. I had um, a review to take care of, which I will talk about in a second. Um, so I haven't really been like you know just like slamming hours into the game like I might have done you know a couple years ago when I had more free time. But at this point, I'm about maybe 10 hours in, which is, you know, in some games that would be like a lot. But in, in this game, I feel like I'm still learning like the systems and I'm just like super, super still wet behind the ears um, in this particular version, despite being a longtime series fan. So basically, just to nutshell it for people who don't know, although I think that if you're listening to this show, you probably have a pretty good idea already. But just in case, 
Monster Hunter World is a third-person, real-time action-slash-hunting game where you make your own character, you choose from one of 14 different weapons, and all these weapons um, act very, very differently. Uh, there's swords, there's uh, lances, there's uh, guns, there's all sorts of different things, and everything is really different. So you pick a weapon that you like, you learn the weapon, you go out in the world, you hunt monsters, but it's not just a hack and slash. I mean, uh, a big part of it is preparation. So when you're out in the world, there are a lot of like, you know, quote unquote, like natural resources. They spend a lot of time in this game about building an ecosystem. So it's not just like a big empty level with a couple of monsters in it. I mean, it's like you get out there and it's like a world. There's like a land, there's, you know, water and trees and there's bugs and there's like a little, uh, you know, uh, chain of predator and prey. And you just have to go out there, you collect resources, you can craft things out of the stuff that you make, and then you build, you know, armor and weapons for yourself, and you go hunt some monsters. Out of the monsters that you kill, you can take pieces of those monsters and make new armor and weapons, and of course those ones are stronger. So after killing, like, you know, the first tier of monsters, you'll be, you'll be tougher, wearing brand new clothes, and you'll be able to take on, like, the second tier of monsters and so forth. Uh, so it's a tried and true formula. The game's been around for, I want to say, uh, I don't know, like at minimum 10 years, at least 10 years, if not longer than that. I think probably longer than that. But I did not do my research before the show. Apologies, everybody. But you guys know that I don't do any any fucking research. So I'm sure no one's surprised I don't have the hard data. But um, So anyway, we jumped in. The big focus this time around is much more of an online presence, um, almost to a surprising degree. Monster Hunter has always had a single-player aspect, which I've always completed and has really been fun. There's also an um, online multiplayer aspect, which is always also fun, but kind of a different thing. It's, the game has always been kind of split into two, two different uh, halves. The same is true here, but, like, the online is really integrated much more deeply. Like, when you start a game, there's not really a single-player separated, walled-off part anymore. Like, you... you to start a game, you, like, start a an online world, I guess. And in this online world... You can have, I think, up to 16 other people. And not that they're going to be with you. Not that they are um, seeing you. You're not interacting with them. But they're just like in this like instance. So it's like you're all by yourself doing things. But if you want help or if you are in the middle of a mission and you get into trouble and you fire off like an SOS flare and you want help, the game will select from like those 16 people that are around you from the way I understand it. So it's not like putting out a message to like all of the entire... Uh, online presence of Monster Hunter, but it's just like whoever's in your particular little group. Um, there's a bunch of features where you can meet people and look for games to join and stuff. I mean, so there's um, much more online integration than it has been in the past, and it's worked basically fine, although I will say it's a little bit confusing. I, I think there's a lot of menus going on, maybe like too many menus going on, and it's not exactly as intuitive I, as I would have liked. So I'm still struggling with that part of it a little bit. Also, um, despite the fact that I've been in this series for so long, every time a new one comes out, they always change a certain number of things. And so it's never exactly the same game twice. I mean, certain things carry over, of course, but like the way that they handle certain items or the way that certain menus break down or the way certain tasks are accomplished, they always kind of change them up a little bit. So still learning a lot. Um, I mean, it, when you're out there fighting the monsters, that feels normal and um, familiar, and even better, because there's been a lot of quality of life changes, um, like the way the weapons handle and a lot of the things that happen have been smartened up. And they're just like less less of a barrier, less, um, you know, drudge work to get through. But at the same time, like it, it feels kind of weird. Like it feels like that um, 
I almost want to, I almost want to say it's like a little bit bloated because of just all the different options that are available, all the different types of quests, all the different um, systems to work through. It's like a lot. And I'm even as someone who knows a lot about the game, like I do, I feel like a little bit lost at times just trying to like sort through what are all my options? What are all the things that I can do? Um, so kind of struggling with it a little bit, but um, getting into it, I managed to do a couple of quests with the wife today. That was fine. Uh, you know, we, we spent many, many hours playing together, so it's good to get that particular group back up. Uh, last night, I was just tooling around. My wife had gone to bed, and I wanted to play a little bit more, so I was looking for random games to join, and I joined up with a group of three Japanese players, which was really hilarious, because all their names were, like, in, um, you know, in kanji or whatever, and I couldn't read anybody's name, and uh, I didn't know, you know, who anybody was, and they clearly knew each other, and I just... Here's some like random white dude like showing up in their in their hunting party, which was funny. Uh, but they were all very polite. They sent me their um, their hunting cards afterwards, which is like a thing where if you meet somebody on a random hunt and you want to be their friend, you send them your card. It has a picture of you, your character, and your stats and like where you're from. And so if people look at that and they want to be your friend, they can accept it or they can not accept it either way. So they all sent me their cards, which I thought was very polite, and I accepted them all. And it was you know maybe we'll meet again. Who knows. Um, but so far it's, it's, it's good. It's really good. Um, I mean, I think it's a big step forward for the series, which has been badly needed for a long time. Um, Nintendo made a deal with Capcom a while ago, um, to have their game on the 3DS and it was a brilliant move for Nintendo. I mean, it really boosted the 3DS sales, uh, big time in Japan, really locked that in. Uh, but at the same time, the 3DS just is not the kind of hardware that can handle a game like Monster Hunter, and I felt like that it just never was living up to its full potential. I was very disappointed to see that it got stuck to that uh, that particular platform. I mean, I love the 3DS, don't get me wrong, but this was just not a game that fit on the 3DS very well. So I'm glad to see it on a big console. I mean, the graphics are, like, amazing. Uh, using a, a PS4 or DualShock is amazing. I mean, having all the, the horsepower associated with the PS4 is great. So a much better fit, a much better fit for the game. Um, and I don't know, like, I mean, it's kind of weird because I'm not, like, doing backflips over it because a lot of it does feel familiar. Like, it, it is Monster Hunter, and I'm so familiar with it that uh, it's just it's kind of like coming home a little bit. <laughs> and I guess, I don't know, I mean, I guess I kind of expected... I don't know what I expected, to be honest with you. I think I just kind of expected, um, I don't know, just to be, like, more excited. I mean, I don't, I don't want to sound like I don't like it, because I do. But I think just between the weirdness of the online implementation and kind of acclimating to the new systems, and I got to be honest, I, I kind of take issue with the art style. I think they've switched artists, and I'm not super in love with the current art style. Um, I think the monsters don't all look that great. And as a real big bummer, I mean... A lot of uh, the appeal of Monster Hunter is making the armor. Like, there's a lot of fashion element to Monster Hunter, which people maybe don't know. But because you can make so many outfits from the monsters, you always want to be, like, killing new monsters, making new outfits, mixing and matching what you're wearing. That's a huge part of it. And the very first suit of armor I was able to make looked like fucking garbage. It looked like a <laughs> yellow trash bag with a stupid cape on the back of it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is ugly. Like, it was... It was a real bummer to like get into this brand new game, and I was so excited. And the very first thing I make looks like dog shit. So <laughs> that was a bummer. Um, but it's it's f like I, I was talking to Mike Susky uh, about this for a second, and because he's he's playing also, 
And I think he's kind of of the same mind where he likes it and he thinks it's really good, but he's not like doing backflips over it. And I think that if you've been playing the series, if you've played every iteration in the series up until now, I think that you will be able to appreciate what this game is, but you might, you, you probably won't be like blown away. And if maybe you're somebody who has never played it, or if you have only played like the really old ones and now you're coming back after a long absence, maybe the steps forward are like way more impressive. So I don't mean to, I feel like I'm coming off way more negative than I'm intending to, because I think this is a great game, really well put together. I'm having fun with it for sure. I mean, we're still playing it. Um, but I think that just like as someone who has played every iteration of it, it kind of just feels like, like another iteration. But, you know, I mean, of course, it looks a lot better and there's been a lot of changes a lot of quality of life changes and system changes, but it still just kind of feels like another Monster Hunter. Uh, but then again, it's another Monster Hunter, so I don't, I'm not, like, complaining, you know? Like, I feel like... I don't know. I feel like I'm not being as celebratory as I should be, <laughs> but at the same time, it's just like another Monster Hunter, you know what I mean? I'm kind of getting that vibe that, like, you know, whenever you like, it comes time for you to, like, upgrade your cell phone. This happens to me because I use an iPhone and like every like two or three years and I'll get like whatever like the newest version of the iPhone is. And for like a day, actually it's not even a day, for like for like 20 minutes, I'm like, oh yeah, this new iPhone, it's so cool. And then after that, I'm like, yeah, it's just like the same thing that I had before, but like maybe a little bit different. That's like the vibe I'm getting from this discussion. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a pretty good way of putting it. And I, I mean, again, I don't mean to downplay what Capcom has done, because this is exactly what I've been wanting them to do for a long time. I really wanted them to bring it to a console. I really wanted to have it on a big TV with a real controller, with real online. And that is all here. I mean, I mean, basically every wish that I wanted was granted. So I'm not complaining about it. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of like, okay, I've played literally like more than 1500 hours of this series. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, after a certain point, you know, there's only so much you can be impressed by, right? Um, Another good point that Mike Susky brought up uh, was that this is the first game in a while that does not introduce a new weapon. And since the weapon types are a really big draw to Monster Hunter, because they're all so different, they all control very differently, they all have different uses, and they kind of define your role, um, all the weapons in this game are, are the same ones we've had before. And I think that's a little bit disappointing for series veterans who are like, oh, I was looking forward to a brand new weapon. Like, if you get, a, like, one new weapon, that's like that's hundreds of hours that you can spend learning that weapon and figuring it out and upgrading it and how to work with it. And everything that they brought here is a, an old familiar weapon type, which is great. I mean, I like the old favorites, but I, I also was kind of disappointed that there wasn't a brand new um, weapon type. So um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's good. It's super good. I'm really glad that people are digging it. I've seen a lot of people talking about it, a lot of newcomers, which I think is awesome because Monster Hunter is a series that I felt like had a lot of potential that was not being met. I knew a lot of people would like it, if they could get over that initial hump. Um, and I think this is this is Capcom's best effort, the most approachable, the most attractive, the most technologically up-to-date. I mean, if you're going to jump into a Monster Hunter, this is absolutely 100% where you should be jumping in. Um, but yeah, as someone who spent, like, literally, like, you know, 1,500 hours in the series, and, I mean, I still love it and everything, but it's like, yeah, cool, you know, yeah, Monster Hunter, yeah, and then, okay, it's Monster Hunter, it's fine, you know? <laughs> So I like it. I'm not complaining about it. But yeah, I think it's kind of like the iPhone thing where, hey, look, it's a new button. And then, okay, whatever. Still does the same thing. So I don't know. I, I feel kind of bad. I feel like I kind of like, I feel like I shit on the game. And I didn't really mean to because I do. I like it. But I guess I'm just not like super enthused. So, but it's good. But it's great. I got no complaints about it. So. So I don't know if this is, because obviously I'm not as experienced with Monster Hunter as you are. And I don't know how they do <clears throat> like, uh 
post-game stuff, if anything. But, like, on, on the weapon and the weapon type thing, is that the kind of thing where, like, maybe in six months they'll be like, oh, here's, like, a DLC thing that has, like, a new weapon in it? Would they do something like that for this game? It's possible. They've never done that before, but I think it's definitely possible. I mean, I can easily see them in six months being like, hey, guys, we actually did make a new weapon. And now that you guys are all kind of getting tired of it six months after, this is going to get you fired up again. That would that, I could easily see that happening. Um, they're also real big on DLC. They um, have a great history of supporting Monster Hunter. Like, they go above and beyond when it comes to DLC, and al- almost always the DLC is free. Um, this time around, there were some items up for purchase right away, but they're all stuff that you don't need. But in terms of, like, adding new monsters, adding new quests, adding new challenges, that stuff... Um, Minimum, you're going to get at least one year of full support, which they've done for every single Monster Hunter. Uh, and, and most of the time, that stuff is all completely free. I mean, right now, they've already announced you can get the costume from Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn as your character. So you can look just like Aloy. And then your little cat, you have a cat buddy. Your cat will dress up like one of the Seeker, Seeker, Observer? One of the, one of the lower level robots from Horizon Zero Dawn. Your cat will look just like that. Um, they've also announced uh, right now you can get uh, costumes for Ryu and Sakura from Street Fighter 4. If you have a Street Fighter 4 save on your PS4, Monster Hunter will detect it and you will get like a costume. And they had this cool video of like Ryu shooting a fireball and knocking one of the dragons out of the sky. Like it looked <laughs> completely badass. Um, so they'll support it and there will be new stuff to draw you in. I'm hoping there will be a new weapon. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. They've never done it before, but I wouldn't put it past them. So we shall see. And again, this game, if you get into it, has like an enormous um, value proposition. I mean, there's a million quests. There's tons of late game stuff. There's all sorts of stuff you can do. If you get tired, you can switch to a new weapon. There's a million things to craft. I mean, there's like, there's like, you will never run out of content on this game. This game is like so content rich, it's ridiculous. So there's stuff to do for sure. So final question, um, because I know that you are so in love with Warframe and you've been playing it all the time. You talk about it every week. And you've mentioned before that you think when Monster Hunter World comes out, you're going to switch from Warframe to Monster Hunter because sort of like a game-as-service type deal, you can only really balance one of those at a time. Given that you are slightly, slightly down on Monster Hunter World, do you think you're going to be putting a bunch of time into Monster Hunter World or do you think you're going to keep playing Warframe? Um, I actually talked to the wife about this because speaking, um, <laughs> speaking about scheduling, um, people, so again, we're in the time vortex because we talked about this already, but people haven't listened to it cause it's actually in the banter section, but speaking about time budgeting and, um, being specific about your free time. So I had to have a sit down talk with the wife and I'm like, okay, so what are we doing? Because she is my constant 24 seven gaming partner. We do everything together. So I'm like, so, uh, I think sit we're down gonna- and have the talk. We did. We had to have the talk about what are we what are we investing in right now? Because there's only so many hours in the day, right? So what we what we ended up with was, we will play Monster Hunter World during the day, in the morning or in the early afternoon, if we have time, and then in the evening time we will switch back to Warframe. So I don't think we're going to quit Warframe, um, but we'll we'll play less of it. But I think we're still going to do that at night. Um, reason being is that Warframe every day, every day that you check in, you get a free gift. And so I want to keep that going because there's a lot of cool stuff you can get just from checking in. And my, my check-in pops in the evening time. So we'll, we'll turn on at nighttime, get the free gift, do a couple missions, and then we'll be good on that. And there's also now, this has never happened before, but there's also now a daily check-in for Monster Hunter. 
Uh, so they've clearly been taking lessons from other games as service. So we'll do the morning check-in on Monster Hunter, get the free gift. Uh, probably end up putting more time into Monster Hunter for now because we're still kind of getting off the ground with it, seeing where it's going. Um, but yeah, we're going to try to do both. Uh, but but it'll probably be like three quarters Monster Hunter, one quarter Warframe probably. All right. I was just curious because I know that your time is at a premium. Oh, dude, it totally is. But see, the problem with that, the problem with this is that what time does that leave me to actually play anything else? And, and on top of that, what time does it leave me to do any game critics um, reviews or editing? Because every minute that I'm playing a game is, an, is a minute that I'm not doing editing for the website. So it's a constant push and pull. I uh, If I actually did like a pie chart of like how my day is spent, it would be like 32,000 like little slices. It would be like it would and none of it would satisfy anybody. It's, it's It would be an awful thing. So. Anyway, I will fill you in. I mean, and again, just to recap, I think this game is great. If you have never played Monster Hunter, this is the perfect one to start. I'm really happy with all the changes Capcom has done. There's a lot of really cool tweaks to the systems. It's easier to play. It's less work to play, uh, less of a grind. I think it's. I think everything they've done is really smart. Um, but as someone who spent so much time with it, I think it. I'm maybe not quite as as impressed as maybe some other people. But that that is still praise for me i still like it i'm not saying that it's a bad game i don't have any big any big complaints so i don't mean to sound so negative on it apologies if i uh if i am not summoning the appropriate amount of enthusiasm <laughs> i certainly forgive you i can't speak uh for our listeners though okay well i'm sure they will write in and let me know but enough about monster hunter Corey. you've been playing something else sir uh i want to hear about what you've been playing tell me what's what's been uh, what's been keeping you busy well, I have been dabbling in a couple of things over the past week, and one of them, and this is always such a pleasant surprise, and I never, I feel like I never talk about mobile games very much on the show, probably because I just like don't really play them very much, but one mobile game, and when I say mobile, I mean like phone game, I'm not talking about 3DS here, or like, I don't even have a Vita, but PS Vita, um, is that that is kind of like a diehard game that I love that I did not think I would love that I ended up loving is the series called The Room. And the first uh, game in the Room series came out on an iPhone probably like six years ago or so, maybe like five years ago. Um, I might be off by like one or two years on that, but it kind of um, pretty quickly became famous as like a pretty like sharp puzzle game on ios and when i say puzzle i don't mean like i don't know like a chess type puzzle or like you know like a tic-tac-toe the the point of the room and i'm sure most people listening have heard of this game but the point of the first room was you have a series of puzzle boxes in front of you and it kind of looks like it's like a really ornate like jewelry box or something on a table and you can walk it's like a first person game and you can like move the camera all the way around it and basically the point of the game was to like figure out how to open every box and they all have these little compartments and little knobs and little switches and you know you can look under it and maybe there's something under there to flip to open something on one side of it and it's just like a series of really like intricate boxes that you have to open and that sounds kind of lame but I really enjoyed it it was like the perfect kind of game where I could just sit down like it's kind of like the perfect like I'm going to bed game where you like sit down you're in bed you solve like one box or maybe like half of a box and then you go to sleep. And the game has a really good hint system because I am uh, notoriously bad at puzzle games. I'm the kind of puzzle gamer where if I like the game enough, I'll end up just like looking online at, at a bunch of like FAQs for it and figuring out how to solve it. 
But the room has a good, it has like a three-part hint system where I think it's like every like minute that you get stuck, uh, I think it gives you up to three hints and you like press the hint button and it'll have like a little blurb at the bottom that says like, oh, I noticed X on X side of the box or something. And so it kind of like pushes you in the right direction. And then if it takes you like another minute before you do anything, another hint can pop up that you can access. So then I think it's like another minute after that, you can access a third one. And I'm pretty sure at that point, it basically just like tells you what to do. Um, but they've released, uh, this is Fireproof Games that makes these. And they've released three of them. They have The Room, The Room 2, and The Room, I don't know if it's called The Room 3, but uh, they have three of them. And they released a new one that just came out last week called The Room Old Sins. And although I like these games, they get bigger in scope. So the first game was just like, literally just a bunch of like ornate puzzle boxes on a table. And then with the second and third one, they started delving into more like mist-like territory where you have maybe like three different rooms you can go into in one kind of closed off area and you like solve some puzzles in one room and then maybe that'll give you something that you can pick up and use in another room and you kind of like very slowly like chip away at these puzzles in different rooms to finish one level in its entirety. And so the games kind of keep getting a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger in scope as each one goes on. And I'm totally okay with that because I, I like the smaller puzzles, but I like, I don't mind, you know, traveling through a few rooms also. And um, The Room Old Sins is basically just more of the same. I mean, if anybody has played The Room games, you know exactly what you're in for with these. It is a series of puzzle boxes and different... Uh, different rooms and the one like the opening one that I've been working on in the room old sins because I haven't even finished the first like big area yet it's kind of like a dollhouse and you have to figure out how to open rooms in the dollhouse and then you have like an eyepiece that you can look through and some like secrets or like marks get revealed if you look through the eyepiece and you can sort of like transport yourself into one of the rooms of the dollhouse so like there's the overarching puzzle of like things you have to put on the model of the dollhouse. And then there's like the micro level puzzles where you go into rooms of the dollhouse and you have to like solve puzzle boxes in each room of the dollhouse. And I mean, there's nothing like super new or like spectacular about it, but it's just one of those games where, um, <laughs> what? Oh my God. We are, <laughs> we are like the, we are like the worst podcast. Here's me going like, yeah, here's this amazing game, but uh, man, whatever. And you're like, yeah, there's nothing super new about it, but you know, whatever. It's game. <laughs> well, it's like, totally like, I mean, it's hard to <laughs> like, whenever you talk about sequels and stuff that don't really like do a lot of innovating, like it's hard to talk about them in a cheery way because like I, I run into this problem a lot, like where say with like Deus Ex or with like Dishonored or, you know, with this, for example, where they like, there's a new version of a game that's basically just kind of more of what happened in the last game, but it's not a yeah. bad thing. Like, I mean, and it's it's also nice because The Room is not like an annual release. I mean, I think in the past like five or six years, they put out four games. So, I mean, it's not like, it's like, oh, you know, 12 months is up. Here's your new Room game. Like, you know, it's it's kind of those games where like, I, f I finish one, I forget about it. And then before I know it, I'm like, oh, cool. There's a new one out. Like, I'll pick that up and play it. And I mean, you just kind of know what you're getting into. I mean, there's not like, like the room old sins, there's not really a whole lot of new stuff going on. I mean, you're still like solving puzzle boxes and rooms and, you know, looking through these very like elaborately decorated areas. 
But I mean, there doesn't have to be anything new about it. Like, I wouldn't expect this game to turn into like a survival horror game or like a first person shooter or something. So it's like, I mean, I guess like uh, the, the end point of my discussion here is like, if you like these games, there's a new one out and you'll probably like this one too. And I, I mean, I recommend it. I think these games are really fabulous. They kind of in an odd way. And I feel like I might've said this on the show before, maybe like a long time ago. They oddly remind me of the very first Resident Evil game because in that game, I mean, the mansion is essentially a puzzle box that you're solving. And of course, there's zombies roaming around and other, you know, atrocities, uh, you know, roaming around and you have to shoot them or stab them or run away from them or whatnot. So it's kind of sort of like if you took Resident Evil and made it like a first person puzzle game and took out any like enemies or any character models or anything like that, it gives me the same sense of like discovery and satisfaction of solving the same kind of mansion puzzle box that like a Resident Evil would would uh, give to me, but in like a smaller, you know, iOS phone game, I think. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So I guess, um, I mean, that sounds interesting. I've, I've certainly heard of this game a million times, but I've never downloaded it. Uh, just, I don't know, just for whatever reason. I mean, I had Puzzle Quest for like the last four years, so I didn't really need <laughs> anything else to play. Uh, but it is sounds, I mean, it sounds interesting, but I guess my question is how much of a narrative is there in each of these games? Like, is there even a story or is it just you're just solving puzzles and you just do it for the sake of solving puzzles? Or is there, I mean, I don't, is there more to it than that? Or like uh, narratively wise, like how, how does that play out? Um, well, I can tell you that narratively there is a story, and I cannot tell you anything about it because it's one of those stories that, like, I don't remember. There's, like, some journals that you find in the world, and they talk about some, like, void that somebody is trying to discover. And there's, like, there's sort of, like, a dark power that is afoot in all of the games. Like, you know, like, whenever you solve a puzzle, maybe, like, these black vines will come out and, like, grow over part of the atmosphere, or it'll, like, suck you into a doorway or something into the next area. So there's, like, there's, like, a narrative thing going on, but there, I mean, there's no real character models. There's no, like, voiceovers. There's no narration. It's just, like, you kind of reading some journals as you go through. And, I mean, I'm sure if you're, like, a diehard and you really read through everything and paid attention, you could probably be like, oh, yeah, this is the story. You know, it's this and this and this. But I'm the kind of player for these games where I'm not really, like, I don't need there to be a story. Like, just the environments and the detail and the puzzles are enough for me. So, um, I mean, there's something there, but I don't really pay that much attention to it. So I'm just kind of there for the puzzles. So is it kind of like um, is it kind of like Dark Souls in that way where like people say that there's a really good story and if you really want to like watch lore videos and stuff like you can try to string that together but if you're actually playing it like 99% of that stuff flies under the radar and you're just playing it for the sake of playing it like could I just jump into this and just enjoy the puzzles and not really have to worry about any of the I don't know journals or whatever Absolutely yeah you could I mean, you might be, like, forced to read a journal, but you could just, like, flip through the pages and close it. Like, it doesn't it doesn't put story in your face and make you, like, sit through cutscenes or, you know, characters or anything like that. You could totally just pick it up, play it, um, and, you know, put it back down or finish it or whatever and not really pay attention to it. Okay, that sounds fun. I've been meaning to try this for a while, and I know you've brought it up in the past. You talked about one of the earlier iterations a while ago, so... It was kind of on my radar. I just haven't really had a need for, like, more on my phone. Uh, but, yeah, that might not be bad. I mean, if I was, 
would you recommend starting with the first one and working way through or what would you recommend? Um, I think I would recommend that. And I'm pretty sure, like, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that, like, the old ones go on sale pretty often. So, like, you can probably catch them for, like, 99 cents every once in a while on the App Store. And sometimes they, like, will bundle, like, two or three of them together and put them on sale. But, I mean, I would start with the first one because the first one is far lesser in scope than the rest of them because it's basically just the puzzle boxes on the tables. And then once you hit the second one, you start getting into territory of, like, different rooms that you have to explore but they all kind of link together into like a small common area and you know solving puzzles that affect different rooms and then coming back to rooms and i mean they they definitely have a good progression of getting like more intricate and bigger in scope as they go on but like if you dipped into the first one and didn't really like it i probably would guess that the other ones wouldn't really be up your alley either all right. And these are okay to play on a phone. Like that's where I would play it. I don't have easy access to an iPad or anything. It's like visual wise and play wise on a phone is good. Yeah. I, I always play them on my phone and it works for me. All right. Cool. Cool. I will. Uh, in fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I'll try to download it like right now and we'll see what happens here. <laughs> fill for time, Corey, fill for time. All right. Well, okay. I will lead into your next game while you're looking. Um, so Brad has been playing a game for review and uh, if I'm not mistaken, the embargo actually went up for it today. So this is a good luck on recording day where he can actually spill all the beans about this game. Um, some of which maybe he shouldn't spill because uh, I think the story is very important in the game. I pl- I guess I'll just say the title of the game. Um, Brad's been playing Shadow of the Colossus, the remake, the really beautiful remake on PlayStation 4. And if you follow Brad on Twitter, you will know this because he's been posting motherfucking screenshots of that game every five minutes <laughs> on Twitter <laughs> because it is so beautiful and it has a really nice photo mode. Um, I played, whenever the HD collection of Eco and Shadow of the Colossus came out, I played Shadow of the Colossus for the first time in the HD collection on PlayStation 3, and I did not really like it. I thought it was kind of boring, and I wasn't into the repetition of it, where it's basically like, ride your horse here, defeat this uh, Colossus monster thing, and then repeat like seven or however many times. I couldn't really get down with it, and I got to like the third or fourth Colossus and basically gave up. So... I don't expect that the remake is going to do anything that's going to make me want to play it other than being beautiful, but I'm definitely interested in hearing like from someone who's played them what's good, what's bad, what's different, what's not, and just uh, hearing all about it. Thank you for filling for time. I am now downloading The Room on my phone. I actually had bought it and forgot that I bought it, <laughs> and so I never, I never downloaded it, so I'm downloading it again. I must have downloaded it at some point and just never ever tried it because I don't ever remember playing it, but uh, yes. I will report back to you about the room. Uh, moving on, talking about Shadow of the Colossus. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, I think a lot of people in game, if you're in gaming for any length of time and you're serious about it, I mean, I think you probably have heard about Shadow of the Colossus. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it was, I mean, kind of like an art house game, even though it was um, funded by Sony and was a Sony product. But uh, it was made by Fumito Ueda who is a game developer, but he's also kind of an interesting guy. He has a life outside of gaming. He's done other things. Um, I don't know exactly what he's done, but I know that he kind of like leaves gaming every once in a while and like does something totally different. Like I think I may be mistaken, but I think he like designed playgrounds for a while and then he like did something else, like just totally not game related. So I think he's kind of like a, 
a little bit of an unusual character in that way, but um, he's well known for his trilogy of uh, of games that share a lot of uh, common themes and a lot of common ideas. Uh, his first was Eco, which I think is a great game. Really like that one a lot. Second was Shadow of the Colossus, which we're talking about now. And the third one was uh, The Last Guardian, which was uh, famously thought to be uh, vaporware for so many years, like seven or eight years or something like that. And then it finally came out, was last year or the year before. Um, so all of his games kind of have a lot in common. They all have a very um, kind of distinct look to them. A lot of stone monuments, a lot of uh, muted colors. And they all have um, similar themes, usually about loss, loneliness, um, kind of contemplative games. I really like them a lot, so I'm a, I'm a fan. Just up front, I'm, I'm a fan of Ueda, so don't expect me to be too harsh on any of these. Um, but this one first came out in 2005, and I know that because I just wrote the review. My review is up on Game Critics, if you'd like to check out my full opinion. I really liked it a lot back then. I did not think it was perfect. I had some issues with it, but I really liked it. Um, he's got a very definite style. I mean, the artistry and what he's doing is very apparent. He makes games that are unlike any other games out there uh, whether you like them or not i think it's hard to argue that he has his own way of doing things and that his games feel like his games like you you play one and then you immediately recognize the others and they are unlike anything else out there um and i think that's wonderful so this remake um well okay so the premise let me just do the premise the premise is that you are a boy riding into this weird mysterious land you get inside of a temple and you're carrying the body of a lifeless girl. You don't really know who she is. I mean, clearly your character cares about her, uh, but you don't know the story. Uh, when you get to the temple, this like mysterious disembodied voice tells you that if you go around and kill 16 colossi, which are scattered throughout the land, this voice can bring this girl back to life. And so that's really all you get. That's all you know. And uh, this is a very lonely game, so there's no dialogue. You don't talk to any characters. You don't do any choices there's no side quests or anything um kind of like you kind of like you alluded to it's a very stripped down game design because there are 16 different colossus uh colossus uh in the area and all you do is you go you ride out you find one um the game kind of gives you hints about where to go so you go you go to each location you find a colossus and then you have to figure out how to kill it and most of them are huge way, 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 way bigger than your character. Not all of them are huge, but most of them are huge. And your character can run and jump and climb and cling onto things. And he's got a sword and a bow and arrow and he's got a horse. And that's all he has. There's no other upgrades. There's no power-ups. There's no new weapons. There's nothing like that. The stuff you have at the beginning of the game is exactly what you have all the way through. So you know what you're working with. And for me, the thing that's really interesting is how Ueda finds different ways to use the, the tools at the player's disposal in 16 different ways. And so each one has a different approach, a different you know trick to it. I mean, some of them are pretty straightforward. Um, you have to just figure out how to, you know, for example, how to get onto the Colossus first because the weak spots are usually on their head or their shoulders or their back. And if they're so much larger than you, you can't just reach them. So, I mean, like, in the very first Colossus, I don't think this is a spoiler for a game that's, like, you know, uh, more than 10 years old. I mean, the first Colossus, he's all covered in fur, and most of the Colossuses, Colossi, have fur <laughs> on them in, in patches. And that's a pretty good hint that you need to probably grab onto that fur and climb up it. So the first Colossus is just like a big guy with a big mace. Um, you spot him. 
you're pretty speedy on your little human feet. You just run kind of uh, between his legs or kind of dodge around. You jump onto the fur on his uh, legs, calves, thighs, whatever. Climb up uh, onto his back. Keep going. And then when you get to the top, there's like a, a glowing spot on top of his head. You stab your sword into it a couple times and then he's dead. So um, a lot of the Colossi kind of play off of that. There's always some fur that you got to figure out how to get onto. Um, it's not always reachable. Sometimes you have to like use the environment. Sometimes you have to use your horse. Uh, but Ueda is very clever about finding different ways to challenge the player using the exact same tools every single time. So I think that is really wonderful. Very interesting. And I also appreciate how stripped down the game is. There's like literally nothing in the game that does not serve that core idea of killing a Colossus. So there's no nothing to distract you. Um, and in some ways, I think that's really great. And in other ways, um, kind of like you said, Corey, like it can get a little tiresome at times. Um, I finished the game in about seven hours or so, six or seven hours. And for the first like two hours, I was totally like just enraptured, this really into it. It was nice to revisit this game that I liked from so many years ago. I mean, it was really great. But after a while, um, I do agree, it does start to feel a little bit repetitive. And so I would suggest to anybody thinking about playing this game, play it in short bursts. Just do like one or two uh, Colossi a day. Don't do them. Don't do them all in like, you know, three and four hour sittings or whatever. Like just do one or two because then it doesn't get old if you're just riding your horse out to a remote corner of the land once and killing one guy and then you move on to something else. Um, you will not get that feeling of fatigue that can set in if you try to do a lot at once. Um, so I did definitely get a little bit fatigued because I was trying to rush the game in order to get done for the review. Not the optimal way to play it, uh, but I still did enjoy my time. Uh, so the biggest thing to talk about, of course, is that uh, developer Bluepoint, who has um, made a real name for themselves lately in doing adaptations and ports, they've worked on a number of things, a number of really high-profile things that are really coming up as someone to watch who can get things done. Um, they, I believe they did the PS3 remake that you, you referenced earlier, and I think they, uh, they have done this one as well. Um, the reason to check out this new remake is that it has been kind of rebuilt from the ground up, like still the same game, the same themes. There's no new content at all, but they have rebuilt the entire world in a much more high polygon fashion. Um, excuse me, I'm going to take a sip of water here. Thank you. How um, dare you. I know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I thought the game was always very artistic and it looked really great. And I, I talked about this on Twitter and I mentioned it in my review also. Like I remember it looking really good. And playing the remake, I mean, the remake is beautiful. I mean, Corey, you referenced all the screenshots I was po I was posting a, like a screenshot every two minutes and it was just like <laughs> different areas. I mean, it was really, really gorgeous. I mean, the, the, the vistas, the landscape. I mean, apparently every tree and every rock was placed by hand. There's no algorithms putting features in the landscape. Somebody actually painstakingly built this entire world very intentionally and it shows like it's beautiful it just looks like every frame is frameable every viewpoint is just like jaw-dropping like the the grass is so green and the desert is so yellow and the the buildings all look so just interesting and ancient and the colossi all look so imposing and i mean it, it's gorgeous like it's gorgeous like if you want to have something to show your friends that really shows off like, you know, how beautiful video games can be, how awe-inspiring they can be. I think this one is a great example of that. Um, it just looks fantastic. And and even though I remember the original looking really great, when I pulled up some videos on YouTube of the original and then compared them with the new one, I just about fell out of my chair. Like, it, the best way to describe it is that this new remake of Shadow of the Colossus, it looks like I imagined the old one looked after 10 years and just having <laughs> memories to work from. So like, 
you know, like people always say, like you look at things through rose colored glasses, like this is what that looks like. If you had rose colored glasses and you thought about Shadow of the Colossus, you very likely in your head would imagine what the game looks like now because it looks absolutely stunning. I mean, polygon counts are through the roof. Everything has been rebuilt. Everything has been redecorated, redesigned. Um, but, you know, like to honor to honor the work that Ueda did, this is not like them taking the game and making their own thing. They are remaking it with better tools than he had, better technology than he had. They are absolutely respectfully, faithfully remaking this game. I mean, I think this game is as true to the source as it's possible to be. Um, they've done a very few tweaks, like they've tweaked the camera a little bit. They've tweaked um, just like micro little things, like how, um, how your guy grabs onto a ledge a little bit, how he mounts his horse like a little bit. You, you, if you haven't played the game, like you would not notice any of these changes. Like they are just very, very subtle changes. Um, so overall, it is by and large, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it is the exact same game as the original 2005. It just looks fucking amazing. Like, and I'm not a graphics whore. Like I'm not somebody who usually flips out of a graphics, but the graphics in this game are just stunning, just absolutely stunning. And I'm playing on a standard PS4. I don't know how good they would be if I had like a 60 inch HD set and a PS4 pro, like, I mean, I probably would die. It would just be like, so, so amazing looking. Um, so if you've never played Shadow of the Colossus, this is the, the best place to get in because it looks better than it's ever looked and it, uh, plays better than it's ever played. And it still delivers the exact same experience. It is still the same game. So this is not, this is not blue point making this their own. This is them doing a very faithful homage to Oeda's work. So that's wonderful. All wonderful. Um, that said, this game has never been perfect. It was not perfect when it came out originally. It is not perfect now. And some of the things really grated on me a little bit. Um, I mean, one thing like we, we mentioned already is the repetition. Uh, because what happens is when you start off in the middle of the land, there's like a temple, you ride out, you find a Colossus, you kill him. The game brings you back to the central point. And that's okay at first because you're not really going that far out. But as you kill more and more Colossi... The, le the ones that are remaining are further and further out. And so sometimes you're like riding back and forth across the land, like maybe a few times too many. Like it just kind of stops being interesting after a while. Um, and again, I was rushing through the game. Maybe that would not be a big factor if I was doing once or twice uh, a day, but it is what it is. Uh, also, the thing that really, really bugged me was I clearly remember the original having camera problems. Um, it, it's like It's like the camera wants to show you a very certain perspective because it's very cool and artistic looking. But that is not always optimal for gameplay. And so I would be trying to move the camera to a place where I wanted to see something. And the game would be like, no, 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 this is not the best view. I, I will move this back for you. And I'm like, no, 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 please leave it where the fuck I put it because I need to see. And the game's like, no, 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 I'm going to move it back because it's so pretty. Uh, that drove me up the fucking wall. I'm actually kind of surprised they kept that because that's awful. Uh, there would be many times when I was like constantly like, every like 0.5 seconds removing the camera to keep the viewpoint that I wanted because I needed to see something. And it drove me up the wall that the camera kept moving back to where it wanted to be. Not good. I don't like that. I didn't like it back then. I absolutely do not like it now. Um, I mean, it's not a game breaker or anything, but it's like, Jesus fucking Christ, guys. Did you guys not play this? Did you guys not know <laughs> how hard it is to control when this is going on? Like, it's nuts. It's nuts. Um, not a fan of that. Also, I will say that I um, got into a few battles with some of the Colossi where I was getting stunlocked to fucking death over and over and it made me so ragey. Uh, getting stunlocked, okay, so if you don't know, getting stunlocked is when an enemy hits you, you fall down and you're dizzy or you can't get up and then before you get back up, they hit you again 
and they make you dizzy again and you can't get back up and then you try to get up and they hit you again and then you just fucking die because you can't get back up. That happened to me um, not a ton of times, but it happened a significant number of times and it made me fucking angry as shit because there's nothing worse than sitting there and a monster hitting you and you can't get up and you can't do anything and you're trying to get up and he just hits you again and you can't get up and then you die. Like it just bad, 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 bad. <laughs> Um, I don't know if that happened in the original, but it happened here. And if I was them, I would have changed that. Um, it, I definitely would have changed that because it's really frustrating. Um, a couple other little niggles here and there. I mean, I think um, I fell through the world a couple times, which is a real bummer. I mean, it looked really amazing because I was falling through this like giant void. And that was kind of like, um, I don't know, surprising and awe-inspiring for a minute. But it was actually just a glitch. So it wasn't anything <laughs> intentional. Um, but a very scenic glitch through the world. Very beautiful glitch through the world. But that happened a couple times. So it's not perfect. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, I mean, neither was the original. The original was never perfect. And I think that even with those issues, taking Shadow of the Colossus for what it is, is still a really amazing experience. I mean, it's something that dares to be wildly different from almost everything else out there. It has a very clear artistic presence. It's got a very clear um, focus on what it wants to deliver. Um, I mean, there's no fat on these bones at all. And, and this current version is just absolutely, like... It's so beautiful, it makes me want to cry. Like, it's, it's stunning. So I would recommend it. I mean, it's not a perfect game, but I think that everybody who is serious about games needs to play it, at least to try it, and just to see what he's doing. And I think that um, regardless of his um, design choices that may not be for everybody, I think Fumito Ueda is... Uh, I mean, I think he's a genius, honestly. He he does some really wonderful things. And all three of his games, I would put, like, towards the top of, like, what video games can do. I mean, they're not perfect. They're not for everybody. But I think as an example of, like, what this medium can do... I think his um, his vision and his works are, are really um, worthy of respect, worthy of study, and worthy of uh, being played by people who may have never played them before. So, um, not perfect, but it never was, and I think that it looks better than it has ever looked. And if you've never played Shadow of the Colossus, you owe it to yourself to check this out and just see what it's all about. So, I really liked my time with it. Uh, had a very favorable review up on Game Critics. You can read it now, and I really, really liked it. And uh, hats off to blue point for um man just making it just look so fucking amazing like it just looks so amazing so if i did not really care for this the first time i played it is this new version gonna do anything that's gonna make me want to revisit it no not at all if you didn't <laughs> like the first one it is literally the same game it just looks better if you didn't like the first one didn't make it past the first three or four colossi you're not gonna nothing about this is gonna change your mind it is in 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 all ways that matter. It is the same game, so probably not going to do it for you, even though it is awful pretty. All right, I will. Mm, man, I want to game fly this, but I know I'm just going to play it for an hour and be like bored and send it back. I mean, probably so, but maybe it would be worth it just to take like just to take in the scenery because it is actually really stunning. I mean. If all you did was ride your horse around the plains for like an hour and then you send it back, I mean, I think <laughs> just looking at like what's capable, I think would be pretty, pretty, um, pretty worth it. Uh, I mean, I know you have kind of like a longer gamefly turnaround than I do, but uh, I mean, if if you didn't like it before, don't worry about it. But you know, if you got nothing better to do, you're just curious. I think it's worth an hour or two. I'll think about it. The other thing about me thinking about playing this is also knowing that I have a PlayStation Four Pro and a 4K TV, and thinking about how magical it'll look on that TV. Oh, see, now that's different because I have like a regular size TV, regular PS4, and I thought it looked amazing. I would be very curious to hear 
what it looked like on a full, you know, big boy setup uh, that I currently don't have. I mean, <laughs> you probably wouldn't enjoy it anymore, but I bet you probably would be like even more impressed with the graphics than I was. Because I mean, I thought it looked amazing on my shitty setup. I mean, it must look amazing if you had all that uh, the new tech in your house, man. Yeah, I'll um I'll think about it, and if I play it, I'll definitely um, report back on the show. Sounds good. Sounds good. So that's all I had to say about Colossus, and uh, yeah, that's it for me, man. Uh, as far as Colossus goes, you got one more thing on deck, don't you? I do. Um, this is a game that I've had for a while that I just played recently. Um, so the Hitman game, the Hitman reboot, Hitman Season One, whatever you want to call it, that came out like I don't know. It's probably been like a year and more at this point um at the very end of last year or like toward the end of last year um after because io interactive was owned by square enix and then they parted their they parted ways square enix cut cut ties with them but square enix was nice enough to let io keep uh hitman so they get to keep uh everything to do with hitman they don't owe square anything anymore and so after they cut ties with square uh, IO released the first independent release that they've done since Cutting Ties from Square, and they released a Hitman Game of the Year edition. And in true IO fashion, they released this, and it was very confusing because nobody could tell what the fuck it actually was, much like whenever they released the first Hitman, or the, the Hitman Season 1, uh, like earlier last year or 2016. I can't remember when that came out, but... Um, 2016 is when it came out. Uh, but basically what they did was um, they released a thing called Hitman Game of the Year Edition. And if you already owned all of the episodes, because Hitman Season 1 was episodic, if you already owned all the episodes of Hitman, you could buy it for a discounted price. And I think it was like $20 or $25 or something like that. And that ran across all spectrums on PC, on PlayStation 4, on Xbox One. Like, it could detect if you had all the, all the um, episodes. However, if you did not own any Hitman at all, you could buy the Game of the Year experience as a standalone for full price for $60. And it included everything. It included all of the episodes, and then it included the rest of um, the new Game of the Year content. And they touted that the Game of the Year edition was going to have, like, four new missions in a new campaign called Patient Zero and, like, new outfits and new weapons and new... Uh, they have some secondary game modes, like, some new missions and secondary game modes. And so they made it sound like it was this, like, big new thing... Um, which I had my reservations about because it actually turns out that they just like redid some of the levels and turned them into new to new missions. They didn't make like entirely new areas. So this went on sale on PSN a while back and I bought it late last year and just started playing it for the first time because Hitman is the kind of game where if I'm going to sit down and play a new mission in Hitman, I really need to set aside like two hours of my life, maybe more to like really sit down and learn the ins and outs of the level, and learn what to do, and play it, and figure out what all you can do in the level, and how many ways you can eliminate the targets, and all, all this and that. So I decided last week that I was going to sit down and try to play this. And um, the good news is that I like it. The Hitman Game of the Year content, the four quote-unquote new missions, um, at first I was not super impressed, but by the end of it I actually really enjoyed what IO Interactive was doing. 
So they basically took four environments from the levels. They took uh, from the earlier levels in the game. They took uh, like the Sapienza level, which is like the giant like flagship level from this from this game, um, uh, which is like an Italian like oceanside kind of resort looking town. They took the Hokkaido level, which is the Japanese hotel slash like medical spa in the mountains level. Uh, the Colorado level, which is just like a militia farmhouse like area, and the Bangkok hotel, which is like this fancy uh, hotel, uh, they kind of redid a bunch of uh, assets in those levels and uh, like redid some of the like the coloring and a lot of stuff and where stuff is and like totally redid a lot of where uh, where people are and like some of the AI and what people are doing and added entirely new. Uh, targets to every level and called it the patient zero campaign and and the patient zero campaign the first mission you go to the the hotel in bangkok and you're supposed to take out these two cult leaders who are there's basically something fishy going on with the cult and um you're just assigned to eliminate them but what happens is uh, whenever you start playing the level, it, the first level basically plays out like any Hitman level. You go in, you scout, you figure out how to kill them, and then it's over and done with. I mean, assuming you do it correctly. And, But at the very end of the mission, when you're on your way out, you learn that killing them set up some kind of like kill switch to other groups. And so that's kind of where it takes you from mission to mission. The thing that I found really fascinating about Patient Zero, the more I got into it, is that because it was sort of like post-release content, it kind of like allowed IO Interactive to kind of like let their hair down a little bit and kind of try some experimental things that you, we didn't necessarily get in the original campaign. Because as much as I love Hitman, I think Hitman was like my number two uh, game of the year in 2016 whenever it came out. Um, every level is pretty much the same thing. It's like you're in a giant elaborate level. You have to figure out targets. You have all the time in the world to plan, to execute, to uh, to get out, if for better or worse. But the interesting thing about the the Patient Zero campaign is that the first level is like that, but then they do something a little bit different with every episode. So like in episode two um, of uh, Patient Zero, there's like uh, a time commitment where the two targets that you have, they're going to meet at a certain point in the, at a certain time in the level. And then one of them is going to exit after they meet. So there's like a big time imperative where you have to either take the guy out before the meeting or take him out after the meeting or find a way to do, maybe take them out both at the meeting. Because if you don't finish it within like, like maybe 20 or 30 minutes or however long they're going to have the meeting, they're going to leave and then you're going to fail the mission. Um, so that kind of puts like, kind of like a fire under your ass to get it done. And the third mission uh, is basically a sniper challenge mission where uh, some people might remember whenever Hitman Absolution came out, there was a pre-order bonus for it that allows you to play um, a mini game called the Hitman Sniper Challenge. And it was basically a um, stationary kind of like silent scope-esque level where you're on like a skyscraper in Chicago, you have your sniper rifle, and all you're doing is looking through the scope and killing uh, different people at this party, like a bunch of bodyguards and then the target, and you don't move Agent 47 at all. You just move the scope around and you kill people. Well, the third mission in Patient Zero campaign is very much like that. You still can move Hitman around a little bit, but he's in like a sniper nest in this water tower area. So basically, you're getting fed information from Diana, who is Agent 47's handler, 
about what targets are in the area and she like gives you a description. She starts with like a really light description and then she kind of narrows it down the longer you wait. And then you have to snipe them and there's like five targets and it's really, it's really well done. And it made me think a lot about the Hitman Sniper Challenge mission because I thought it was a really fun and a really clever sort of mini game and pre-order bonus. And so this is sort of recreating that in the Colorado map. And I really appreciated that. I mean, some people might think it's kind of a ripoff because it's not like a full-blown Hitman level where you can explore and do disguises and it's just you in the sniper nest like taking dudes out. But I thought that was a creative um, and really kind of fun twist on it. And then I got to the last level in Patient Zero and the last level is called Patient Zero and as you might expect, one of your targets in the level is the patient zero for the virus because the, the whole campaign is about this virus that's going to be released and, you know, it's, um, you know, video game story, you know, type A, subtype C-12 about a virus being released and you have to figure out how to, like, stop it from happening. And they extract the virus from the patient zero and she, Diana keeps telling Agent 47 about how lethal the virus is in the mission briefing and whenever you start the mission, about 15 minutes after you start, um, she calls you and she's like, uh, Agent 47, we've discovered that the virus is spreading. And the way that the AI characters move around the area, the virus actually ends up spreading like a real sort of like flu or something like that. And so eventually it starts, it starts at patient zero at the beginning. And the longer it takes you to finish the mission, the more people the virus spreads to. And you have to kill everyone that the virus spreads to in order to, uh, to finish the mission appropriately. So you start with two targets. And there was one point in the patient zero campaign where I had like 18 targets on the map because people... <laughs> People oh, kept, it's, it was insane. Like people kept walking past each other and then it, they would get infected. Like they would walk so closely or they would like breathe or cough or something. And it's totally like out of, um, like out of the realm of what is in the regular Hitman campaign. Cause more often than not, you enter the mission, you have maybe one to four targets. You only have those targets. You get in, you have as much time in the world to kill them and then you get out. But this was such a good twist on it because it put like a really intense time imperative on it. And if you didn't get your shit together fast enough, you're going to end up with like the entire map being like potential targets for you to take out. And the kicker is that if you get too close to the targets, agent 47 will get infected and you have a time limit to find the vaccine in the area. It turns into a new objective. And if you don't find the vaccine fast enough, then agent 47 dies. So it really like the whole patient zero campaign really impressed me because like from the get go, you're like, oh, it's just more levels and like redesigned, you know, and like tweaks on the old environments because the first mission is pretty much like a, you know, a, a cut and dry Hitman level. But every new level for the second, third and fourth uh, levels of the campaign add like a fun kind of interesting twist, whether it's a time imperative, whether it's the sniper nest thing or whether it's the ridiculous um, virus spreading around the environment. And I just thought it was really cool. Like I was expecting to just go in and have it be for really lightly redone levels and have them be kind of pared down and not really that interesting. And I would get in once and play the mission once and just be like, Oh, you know, okay. You know, that was fine. But it was just like a little more of the same in a, in a level that I've already played. But I really appreciate the fact that because it was post-release content that, uh, IO was able to get more experimental on the way they approach the missions and kind of do some like fun, like ridiculous things or, you know, just add, add a little bit more flair into the missions than what I was used to and kind of like 
make it a little more intense because one thing that I love about Hitman is that there's never really a time imperative. You have pretty much as much time as you need to do a mission. So it really gets me out of my comfort zone when there is an urgency in the missions to do them quickly because a target is escaping or like in the patient zero thing when people more and more people are becoming infected. Um, it just, you know, kind of forced me to think about the game in a different way and to play it in a different way and like approach the levels in a different way. And um, I really liked it. So it pleasantly surprised me. And if, uh, if somebody's listening to the show who's played Hitman and you were like iffy about the post-release content or the game of the year edition, um, I would recommend it. It really surprised me and I thought it was a lot of fun. Interesting, interesting. I was wondering what you were going to talk about because we've discussed Hitman a couple times before, but this is really kind of, um, really kind of piqued my interest. I mean, um, I know that you are a big Hitman fan, of course. Um, I am also a big Hitman fan, although you wouldn't know it because I don't talk about it that often. <laughs> and I have not actually played the most recent Hitman. I played the beta when it came out, and I just, I just never had time for it because I know, um, kind of like you, I like to spend a lot of a lot of time with Hitman. And I just, I just never had time. I just felt like it was always going to be too big and I didn't, couldn't fit it in my schedule. I didn't have a reason to review it. So I kept putting it off. Um, I do believe I own everything. So I'm pretty sure I can download this stuff. Um, it sounds good. I, first off, I loved the, um, Hitman sniper challenge on the phone, I think is where we played it. Man, it was so good. I loved that, um, that aspect of it. And I think it's totally fine to have one level. I hope that nobody's upset about that because, I mean, looking at Hitman, I mean, just the idea of, like, being a sniper for just one mission is super appealing to me. Like, I wouldn't want an entire game out of that, but, I mean, that sounds like an, a fantastic ad, which is great, because after the Hitman Sniper Challenge uh, was on phone, I was like, oh, it'll be sad when this goes off of iPhone and we'll never have this again. So if they kind of recreate it in the main campaign, that would be awesome. Also, um, you describing the Patient Zero thing sounds crazy and <laughs> stressful and weird and exciting. <laughs> Uh, that definitely sounds not like the usual Hitman stuff, which is awesome. I really want them to do interesting, cool, fresh, new things with it because I think Hitman is such um, a rich, a rich franchise that you can do a lot more with it. I, I mean, I, I know they had some problems before. I was not a big fan of Absolution, uh, but although this one seems like it gets it back on track, so I'm glad to hear that they're getting a little more experimental. I wish, I, I hope that they continue this track and. Um, change things up again because i have a lot of really fond memories of the hitman series and i am actually looking forward to um getting to this one i know i tried to get to it last year i kept saying i was going to do it and i just never got around to it but you talking about it now has really got me kind of excited about it so i i'm gonna have to bump it up on my list and and finally finally get around to it so i'm glad you brought this up because i i knew that this came out i didn't really pay much attention to it but uh this is exciting stuff yeah, I kind of feel sad for IO because I feel like a lot of people didn't pay attention to this. I mean, it was a pretty like modest like, oh, you know, here's some extra stuff for the game for a game of the year edition. And I feel like they didn't I mean, maybe I did a disservice talking about it here because like maybe they didn't want to let the cat out of the bag on the fact that they like really kind of did some like fun experimental stuff on the missions. Um I feel like maybe if they had like marketed it that way, then I would have been a little more interested instead of marketing is it marketing it as like, Oh, here's like four kind of redone missions. Um, but well, no, I, mean, I think, I think what you did was right though, because I knew that they added some new stuff to it and I was just like, okay, well I'll get to it when I get to it. Like no big deal. But like by you explaining like what's different, I'm like, Oh, like that actually, I didn't realize that those were so different and that those things had been added. So 
I mean, I you know, I'm sure maybe someone's going to be upset that we yeah, you spoiled it mildly or something. But I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people, like myself included, if we had known, or if maybe you know, if you you think you know what to expect from Hitman, and then you you say like what you said, I'm like, oh well, that seems totally different. That seems like a brand new thing. Like that seems like a reason to go and check it out sooner. So I'm glad that you said that because if you had just said, oh yeah, there's four new missions, I'd have been like, okay. I mean, I like Hitman, and I'll get to it, but <laughs> it would not have lit a fire under me. I got to ask you though. So when you are doing the Patient Zero. And if you do not do a good job and you're slow and then all these people get starting, you know, get sick and you got the whole, you know, shits is falling all, all, uh, all around you. Do you still have to maintain secrecy or can you just go balls out and just start shooting everybody? Or like, I mean, killing 18 people while not being observed <laughs> sounds like a very tough challenge. I mean, what did you, how does that play out? What's the requirements? How did you solve it? Well, whenever I did it, um, like, the, I mean, the first time I started the level, it took me way by surprise because when she, when Diana called me and she was like, oh, 47, it looks like we have another infected person. I, you know, in the back of my head, I, I mean, at first I was like, oh shit, like this is kind of a big deal. And then I thought that the game would, you know, like kind of like, you know, pull me along and, you know, maybe give me like two or three extra targets that were in like the main vicinity of the, of the main target, the patient zero. But whenever it started getting up to like, 10, 11, 12 targets, like I started paying attention to the map and seeing where the infected people were going because it marks them as targets like in the instinct mode. And then once I saw that that it was spreading, I uh, I was like, oh shit, this is like, a, this is like for real. Like they're actually spreading this virus around the map. And I mean, there might be a point where if you just like stay in a corner of the map, like I don't know if like everyone on the map can get infected at a certain point like if you don't start taking them out immediately but basically diana calls you and she's like um you know everybody that's infected is a target like you have to get rid of them in order to finish the mission um and so i mean of course like it kind of turns into like you know a balls to the wall shootout scenario which on one hand was scary because i never play hitman in a shooty way like i'm always the kind of guy who goes in you know, like poisons the coffee cup and leaves with no one the wiser. Like I'm not really like a shoot people kind of uh, hitman player. But on the flip side, it was really refreshing because I don't play hitman in like a third person shooter way. It was kind of cool to like let the game take me there and be able to play it that way. And I mean, maybe there's a way, I'm sure that there's, you know, YouTube videos on the internet somewhere that are like, ways to complete the mission in like 45 seconds where like nobody gets infected and you kill the two targets and you leave and it's, you know, over and done with. But, um, I don't think there's a good way once maybe more than like three or four people become infected that you can really do it and be stealthy because I ended up finishing it basically shooting like 30 people in the level, like to <laughs> totally like, I mean, I had to reach cause I died the first time I did it because it got so hectic and I didn't go prepared. So the second time I went in, I uh, packed uh, my pistol that had like an extended clip and I ended up stashing um, like a silenced assault rifle and like the, the 47 stash that you can use for the level. And so I was like gunning down people left and right in the level. And I know it wasn't like the proper way to do a hitman mission, but I mean, I, the, the virus had to be contained, Brad. So I killed like do half the people do. in the level. <laughs> oh my God. That sounds insane. I don't think I've ever killed that many people in a Hitman mission, like, ever. So that seems like a huge change of pace, which uh, is good. Is good. I think it's fine to um, have different scenarios and have different things happen. And, like, you know, something unfolding in quote-unquote real time like that, like people getting sick, 
That sounds super interesting. So I am actually really excited for that. In fact, um, I believe I have Hitman on my shelf right underneath my copy of Resident Evil 7, which I haven't touched yet. Oh. So maybe I will just switch places and maybe I'll do <laughs> Hitman first. Yeah, you should, shall. you should do that. I think maybe I will. I think maybe I will do that. Thank you for that information. That is actually great information. I'm actually really excited about that now. So good. This is the kind of scoops that I come to the show for. <laughs> well, good, good. I'm glad I have um, pushed pushed the game a little higher on your shelf now. For sure, for sure. Um, we are almost at the end of the show. I wanted to just, if I could, really quickly. I know um, we I kind of mentioned it, and we're kind of talking about Monster Hunter, but I still kind of want to just give a really quick shout-out to um, Weekly Warframe. It's still... Uh, has a special place in my heart. Like I said earlier, still playing it a little bit. I just want to give a really quick shout. Um, the, the Something that I, I don't really talk much about or we haven't really talked a lot about or maybe people don't know is like when you play Warframe, um, you have a number of different frames to pick from and each one has their own special abilities. And some of them are, you know, different types of damage. Like one person will be really good at cold and one person will be really good at electricity or something. And that's fine. Uh, they all have their little tweaks, and they're all they're all fun in their own way. But some of them are like way more different than the other ones, and I really like the oddball ones. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to um, what has quickly become my favorite uh, frame. Her name is uh, Titania, and she is not one of the top tier. Like if you talk to the people who play this game a lot, and they talk about the meta, and they talk about the strategies, you know, she's nowhere near the top. She's not the best damage producer. She's not the best on defense. I mean, she's not a tank or anything. But I, she is like my absolute favorite, and I'll tell you why. Because um, she has a pair of wings on her back, and she starts out just like all the other Warframes. Uh, you can decorate her. She's got some cool skins. I made mine to kind of look like it's gothic. She looks like she's wearing like black lace, and she's got purple skin. It looks really, really cool and like you know emo and really neat. Um, so what happens is you you go on the level. She acts like any other Warframe at first. Uh, her first couple powers are, are not really that great. But the thing that made me love her is that when you get her last power unlocked, you trigger it, she shrinks down to itsy-bitsy Tinkerbell size, and she gets super, super teeny tiny small. She leaves a trail of, like, pink sparkles behind her, and then her wings open up, and she can super fly, like, throughout the entire level, like, anywhere. Like, she can just go up and down, all around, and she has these, like, Gatling guns that are mounted, and she just, like, starts wrecking shop from above. It's so fun, dude. She looks, like, so cute and so delicate, and you can fly all around, which I think is great. I mean, it's almost like having a jetpack, basically. And just, like, zooming all around the level and, like, shooting dudes from up above is just, like, the best. So she may not be the best in terms of, like, overall damage output. She may not be the toughest uh, or or perhaps even not even the most useful. But, like, uh, for sheer entertainment value, uh, she is the best. And there is nothing better than, like, shrinking down to Tinkerbell size and blowing dudes away in a cloud of pink sparkles. So I really like Titania a lot. Uh, that's all I got to say. I just wanted to give a quick shout out. Uh, and that is, that is it. That is it. That's all I got. That sounds like if you took like, uh, like Ant-Man and put it into Warframe. Yeah, basically like she's basically kind of doing the same trick. Exactly. So, uh, if you like the idea of being a teeny tiny small person in a world full of big people, she is the ticket. <laughs> very, very entertaining, super entertaining. So that's all I got this week, man. You got anything else this week? I don't think so. I've only played those couple games, and that's all I had to discuss. Well, in that case, I think we should bring it on home, sir. All right. Well, 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 everybody. That brings us to the end of episode 67 of the So Video Games podcast. Remember, you can stick around after the ending music, after the show, and you can hear tonight's banter. 
Otherwise, uh, if you want to bail here and you're not into banter, we will catch you next week for episode 68. Uh, In the meantime, please remember that you, dear listeners, can send us your comments, your thoughts, your feedback, your ideas, anything else you'd like to. We are on the internet at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us at gamecritics.com whenever the show goes live on Game Critics. And we are on Twitter as a collective show. At So Video Games is our Twitter handle. And just, uh, I just thought of this real quick. Um, we, uh, we post our show natively to SoundCloud. That's the first place it goes. That's our first publishing tool. And then SoundCloud pushes it to, um, you know, to Apple Podcasts. And, you know, people use, um, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like the code that they use for like their own apps for, for their phones and stuff for podcasts. And I just wanted to say, um, uh, Brad, you don't even know about this, and this isn't a big deal, but there is a guy on SoundCloud, because, I mean, basically, people listen to the show on SoundCloud, but I don't really think we have, like, a fan following on SoundCloud per se, but there's a guy, and his SoundCloud username, I think it's DJ Koa, K-O-A, and he likes every single one of our episodes, and he has commented a couple of times on the episode saying that he enjoys them. And one time he asked us if we were on Instagram and we are not, our show does not have a presence on Instagram. Um, but I just wanted to give a shout out to him. If he's listening to this, um, I just think it's really cool. We have like one consistent fan uh, that's only on SoundCloud who likes all of our shows on SoundCloud. And I just think that's kind of neat. Cause I wouldn't really expect for SoundCloud to be like where we take off, but uh, we do have, one fan. So DJ Koa, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, thank you for listening to our show and for liking our shows on SoundCloud. Uh, I really appreciate it. But that's, that's awesome. I had no idea that he was there. I, I don't go to um, SoundCloud uh, that often. You kind of handle that uh, aspect of things. So uh, I will have to go and check it out. Thank you very much, <laughs> DJ, for listening and liking. Uh, I, I'm sorry I had no idea you existed. But now that I know, I will go and check it out. Yeah, so, uh, so that's pretty neat. But um, to get back on track, uh, Brad and I are also on Twitter uh, individually. Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? Sure, it's my name, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, all A's, no O's, not a single O in my name. <laughs> and mine is also my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. Brad, do you have anything else to add before we sign off? That is it for this week. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, if you stick around for the banter, my apologies. It's kind of a downer at the start of it, but uh, hang tight. It gets better from there. (laughs) Yeah, be thankful. For those of you that want banter at the beginning of the show again, be thankful that it's at the end of the show this time. Yeah, for sure. That would have killed the fucking show. So, yeah, be glad it's at the end. (laughs) All right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 67. We'll be back next week with episode 68. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. All right, cool, dude. So, yeah, man. I'm doing shitty today. Um, We don't have to talk about this specifically, but, like, the last couple days, like, politics wise i know you're not like big on talking about politics but oh my god it's getting me like really really down um i gotta say like i you know growing up 
I didn't, you know, we, we had like the Cold War and that was really shitty. Like, you know, the fear that we were going to get bombed anytime from Russia. And then things kind of got better, you know, glasnost and the openness and kind of, you know, making friends with people. And it seemed like it was fine. And then, of course, there's all these other things to worry about. I mean, like the fucking economy and, you know, the rising um, wealth gap between the top 1% and everybody else and all this other stuff. And, you know, what do you do for a living and jobs can be going away and automation. And there's all these other problems that seem to be going on. But I never thought that I would have to be concerned that my own fucking country would become a fascist dictatorship. I never thought that was in the cards. You know, politicians are corrupt. You expect shit to happen. Um, but like, man, I just like, I'm just like, I'm like taking a really cold, hard look at what's going on in America right now. And I'm just like, I'm scared, dude. Like, I'm really scared. And I mean, I'm doubly scared because like, what kind of world is this going to be for my son? I mean, I mean, am I going to have to leave America? I, I have literally tried to find ways to emigrate out of America. And it's actually a lot harder than you would think. Like, people talk about it like it's no big deal. Or like, you know, just like in general, you hear stories. Oh, yeah, I moved to another country. Blah, blah, blah. No big deal. It is hard to actually leave America. Um, if you don't have a relative and if you're not going to get married and if you don't have a job lined up, it's basically impossible to leave the United States, like, to move somewhere. Like, you can always go on vacation. It's fine. But, like, if you plan to move, it's really hard. So... I was just watching the news yesterday and all the shit that's going down and I'm just like, God damn it. Like how much are we going to let slide? Because no one's really doing anything. And we keep acting like we're going to vote in the midterms and things are going to be fine. Or we keep acting like Mueller's investigation is going to come out and that's going to be fine. But like, you know, no one's going to do anything about it. And I feel like we are in this incredible, like we're like, we're, this is like, you know, I know, I know that people roll their eyes when people say this, but like, I totally feel like this is like, Nazi Germany before Hitler came to power, like, and everybody looks back in history and goes, well, how, how the Nazis happen? How, why didn't they stop Hitler? That's crazy. How'd that happen? This is literally how it happens. It is happening like literally right now. And I'm just like, man, I couldn't sleep last night. I was like stressed out eating way too much fucking food because I'm just like, that's how I cope with stress is I eat too much. And it's like, man, I'm like, uh, I'm going to be 42 on Friday, dude. My birthday is this Friday. And like I, my metabolism is garbage. I don't burn any fat off anymore. I am just in fat conservation mode right now. Ballooning up. Can't say that I'm a big fan of that. And I'm just like, this is stressing me the fuck out, dude. I just, I don't even know what to do because what the fuck do you do? If the Democrats who I think already have problems already can't do anything. And I mean, like, can we really count on America to stand up? I mean, what percentage of America is redneck racist pieces of shit that support Trump and how much are really good people. And then where do you go from that? Like what, you know, like protests in the street, is that going to get anything done? Or is Trump going to like summon some military open fire with the military even listen to him? Like what the fuck is going on? I cannot believe that in the last year we have become so destabilized and we are on the cusp of like not even being America anymore. We are like right on the verge and people don't realize how close we are. You know, I'm just like, man, as a father, what the fuck am I going to do for my son? Like, I mean, I mean, I mean, granted, I would train him to be part of the resistance or whatever, but like, I don't want my kid running from foxhole to foxhole shooting at Trump supporters or whatever. I mean, that's no kind of life. I mean, I can't believe that we're even here, dude. I can't believe this is even happening. It feels like such a bad dream. This is certainly not the conversation that I pictured us having as soon as we started recording the show. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. This is really, it's weighing really heavily on me right now. I mean... We can, we don't have to get into it if you don't want to, but like, I mean, seriously, I was having a hard time sleeping last night, especially with, uh, 
the news events of yesterday of Trump basically not following the law. I mean, that's really the thing that gets me, though, is like he has consistently not followed the law. And yet, because Congress is all Republicans, no one's doing anything about it. And so no consequences happen. And it's like there was this overwhelming law to push sanctions against Russia for interfering in elections. And Trump's like, nah. And it's like, he just said no. And like, what's going to happen? Like, he's literally not obeying the law. He's breaking the law. And if we don't follow the law, then what does that mean for our country? What does that mean for us as people? Like, why should I follow anything that Trump says if he doesn't follow the law, right? Like, why should we comply with anything that ICE says? Why should I pay my taxes? Why should I do anything if Trump is not following the law himself, you know? I mean, there's like a thousand questions that arise from this situation. And we've seen countries all across the world become so destabilized and and to be run by dictatorships. And we scoff at those guys. Like, we always, like, we sneer at those guys and be like, oh, what's wrong with them? Why don't they get their shit together? They should get a better president. They should vote. They should clean their country up. Yeah, well, it's happening, like, literally right here in America. We are falling off a fucking cliff. And I'm just like, I'm just, I'm nervous as fuck, dude. I just don't even know. Don't even know. Um, yeah, I and, don't, and, I don't either. And, and, and how are you, sir? How's your day going? Uh, well, I was feeling a lot better like 10 minutes ago, but now like, thanks for, you know, um, your little pick me up chat about how the United States is in such a good place. Sunshine and roses. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I know we don't talk about it often. We don't have to talk about it anymore, but like, I'm just seriously like I'm talking to the wife. I'm looking at my son thinking about the future. Like, this is just like, this is like the worst thing ever, dude. This is literally the worst thing ever. So anyway. No easy answers here on the So Video Games uh, banter portion of the podcast. Uh, sorry to bring you down, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at today. Kind of a bad day. Kind of a bad day. What about you? What are you? <laughs> How was your day going, man? Uh, Other than this downer. I mean, I don't know. It's been pretty regular. Now that I'm working and on like a regular schedule, my days have been, um, I don't know, like managed i guess like i guess i have a, <laughs> a a better appreciation for my free time now that i have a job and i mean i'm only working part-time so it's not like i'm working like 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 hours a week or anything um but uh one thing that i've always struggled with in life and this is when i was in school it's when i was in college it's when i was working as a manager at target and it's kind of now that i'm like have a part-time job and i'm also like you know, uh, doing a lot of photography and still, you know, doing the podcast and writing, you know, here and there, game critics and stuff is, um, a problem that I've consistently had throughout my life is planning ahead for things and like, you know, sort of making, cause you know, there's a lot of people that have like, they keep their schedule on their phone or they keep like a daily planner and they write out like everything they need to do during the week or during the next week or like deadlines for stuff they have to do during the month. And I've never been the kind of person to like really like schedule stuff out really far in advance. And, um, and like now that I have a job again, I'm kind of like, and like on a set schedule, I'm having to think about my life in that way again, because like, um, like for example, uh, like you had pinged me the other day because like my dishonored edits were in and I needed to go back and look at, uh, the dishonored stuff uh, for game critics. Um, and, you know, I have, like, I am still, like, backed up on photography edits to do because, like, you know, I mean, the layman who's not a photographer probably thinks that, you know, a photographer just goes out with his camera, takes some pictures, uploads them to the computer, and then boom, it's over and done with, and there's your pictures. But 
whenever you're editing all of them and it takes like, I don't know, anywhere from like, like five minutes to a half an hour to edit a single picture and you have like, I don't know, a thousand pictures to edit. I mean, that's, you know, you can do the math that like adds up pretty quickly. And I'm just thinking like about how I need to manage my free time a little bit better now that I have a job and about like, okay, well, if I need to do edits for game critics, like I really need to kind of like set a time aside for that. Like, when am I going to do that? Like, I'm doing this and this this weekend. You know, I'm planning on shooting this this weekend. When am I going to edit those photos? When am I going to work on edits? And the even more bizarre thing, and I've probably said this on the show before, you've probably said this on the show before, but like I have to schedule, not schedule, but like think ahead about times that I want to sit down and actually play video games. Like the whole, like all of last week leading up to the show, I've been thinking to myself, like, okay, I think I want to play this and this game for the show, but when am I actually going to sit down and play it? Because it's almost like I don't want playing video games to feel like homework for the show because a lot of times in my life, I'm the kind of guy that if I have something to do, I do it the night before, and I do it, and it's over and done with. But, like, with a video game, I can't just sit down and play it for an hour one night and then be like, all right, I'm ready to talk thoroughly about it on the next show, so I have to think about what I want to do, when I want to do it, what other things I have to do, and then, you know, what's more important than other things, and when I have to go to bed, because I actually kind of, sort of, have a bedtime now that I'm, uh, you know, getting up in the morning for work, and I'm sure that there's a hundred people listening to this, to, to me talk right now, that are probably like, oh, boo-hoo, how sad for you, you have to for the first time in like two years, actually start planning some stuff in your life and you're only working part-time and oh, how sad you have to schedule times to play video games. But, you know, I'm just talking about my own personal experiences here and how I need to manage my time a little bit better. It's tough, dude. Uh, When you have a schedule, it's really tough. I have to say that you adjusting your schedule is actually been kind of tough for me as well because <laughs> I'm so used to you being awake like any hour of the day. Like I can just jump on Twitter and be like, oh, I got to tell Corey X, Y, Z. And I jump on and like, you're totally on. Like, at, like I'll be up at like two o'clock in the morning. I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll talk to Corey real quick and I'll just talk to you. You'll be there and we'll get, you know, we'll have a chat or something. Totally. I've, I've gotten really used to you just like being around all the time. And then the other night, like, uh, I sent you a message or something. I'm like, where the fuck is Corey? Why is he not responding? <laughs> what the hell's going on? And, like, you were, like, already in bed and shit. And I'm like, what? What? He's going to bed. <laughs> Corey doesn't go to bed. I go to bed before Corey. This is this is fucked up. This is, like, the order of things is totally thrown into chaos right now. So, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, I hear you, dude. Like, I totally hear you, though, because I often look at the wife and I'm like, Oh man, you know, like, I mean, I love where we are. Like, I don't, I'm not complaining about, you know, having a job or having a kid. I mean, I'm, I'm exactly where I want to be for sure. But one of the, um, kind of like what you're saying is like, you really have to reprioritize your free time. And so I remember when me and my wife first got together, you know, like we would just like sleep in, you feel, felt like fooling around. We could do that. No place to be, go back to bed, get up, have some pizza, order in some pizza, whatever, watch a show. Didn't have to even, you know, they didn't even have to put any clothes on the whole day if we wanted to. We just hang out and just like you know, just be casual and whatever. Look like some kind of like scene from a romance movie or something. <laughs> and uh, you know, and it was fine and we enjoyed it and stuff. But like looking back on it now, I'm like, but we didn't really enjoy it enough, you know, because you don't really appreciate how precious free time is until you don't have it. And so like, I mean, those days are long gone, dude. It's like I, you know, 
get up in the morning, get ready, go to work or whatever, come back. I got some paperwork to do, scheduling stuff for later. You know, maybe I'll get like a little bit of game time in, maybe not. I mean, maybe all I'll do in terms of gaming for the day will be like five minutes of puzzle quest on my phone. And then, you know, got to cook dinner, got to spend some quality time with the family, got to, you know, get things ready for the next day and do some game critic stuff. And it's like, man, there's just like, there's just like literally no time. Um, I mean, I I actually took one of the games I'm going to talk, or one of the games that is funny because we're kind of like in a time vortex here. We haven't actually (laughs) talked about the game yet, but people listening to the show will have already heard me talk about the game. So it's kind of this like Doctor Who topsy-turvy bullshit here. But, you know, I took on... Shadow of the Colossus, which we, you you guys listening have just heard about, but I haven't talked about yet, um, because I knew it was pretty short, and I figured I could bust it out, and it literally took me, like, the entire time, like, Sony sent us code, I think, like, I want to say, like, two weeks before um, the embargo dropped, and, like, that game is only, like, six hours long, dude, and it took me, like, the full two weeks to, like, squeeze in six hours to play that, like, I was literally finishing my review, like, an hour before the embargo dropped, and so, like, that, I'm like, oh, God, you know, if that's how long it takes me to do a six-hour game, there's no way I could ever fucking do, like, a 100-hour RPG anymore or something like that. So it's tough. It's tough finding all that time. And, you know, I got to say, I'm surprised at how quickly your schedule filled up because you got work. Photography has really taken off for you. I saw that um, National Geographic had what? They had retweeted one of your pictures, which was a really cool picture, by the way. That was a sweet picture of that guy jumping across the roofs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of going up for you. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got a partner, you got a husband. So that's got to take some time, too, if you guys want some uh, quality time. And then it just the day just fills up, dude. Like, 24 hours seems like a lot of hours. But, man, it is really not a lot of hours. Yeah, it's really um, it's really not. And I, I don't know. I just think that, like, and I, I'm sure that you probably manage this really well, but it's something that I need to manage better about myself is, like, not not spending a lot of time on stuff that's not worth it, I guess, in a way. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to get home and I need to eat lunch. And, you know, one thing I'll do when I eat lunch is, like, maybe watch, like, a couple of YouTube videos or something while I'm eating lunch. And then sometimes that turns into, like, an hour of me just, like, sitting at the computer eating and, like, watching some videos. And I'm like, okay, well, did I really need to spend an hour doing this? Like, I probably could have done this in, like, 15 minutes. And then I could have spent that other 45 minutes, like, I don't know, editing some photos or emailing someone back about do wanting to do photos or, you know, just like some other stuff. And I need to not let time get away from me as much. I'll give you a little, um, old man pro tip, dude, old man pro tip. Uh, when you make food, if you've got things to do that day, make the food, stay in the kitchen, do not sit down, eat it in the kitchen and then move on with your day. I guarantee you'll (laughs) save a lot of time. That is where I eat like probably three quarters of my meals these days. I make it. I just stand. I literally do not leave the kitchen. Just stand up eat it and put the dishes directly in the sink if I'm not going to wash them right away and then just move on because sitting down is a waste of time. Turning on YouTube, <laughs> definitely a waste of time. You got to avoid that shit, dude. You got to be real, real canny with the things that you spend time on for sure. Otherwise, you know, before you know it, your day is fucking over. Yeah, that's a good tip. I'm going to have to try that. Just eating, warming over some food, eating in the kitchen right then and there, and then doing more important things after that. Yeah, man. Get some lists going, too. I keep lots of lists. I get a little pad of, like, sticky notes, like those Post-its, and I keep a list on my phone, and every time I've got some time, which is never, I'm like, oh, okay, well, what's on my list? What do I got to do? Prioritize, prioritize. So, I mean, it probably helps that I um, am self-employed because you don't last long uh, being self-employed if you can't manage a schedule. So, like, I've really gotten into a lot of habits over the last 
two decades plus, but yeah, like you just kind of after a while kind of get into groove. And uh, now that you have, um, you know, you've got a daytime obligation and all these other things to juggle. I mean, I'm I'm sure you're going to have to uh, start finding ways to maximize maximize your time for sure. Yeah, I will. Um, I'll have to do my best. But the the other interesting thing that comes with like my time being at more of a premium is like I took. Um, some photos like I had so I've talked on the show before about how I got like a studio set up in my spare bedroom and I took some photos of one of my friends one of my one of my parkour friends a few weeks ago and you know just for fun like he didn't pay me he was just uh in my side of town and he came over and hang out for a little bit and I wanted to test out the the setup so I just took some pictures of him and um I posted them on Facebook a few days later probably like five or six shots that I took that I had edited and there was a guy who he is friends with on Facebook who I don't know who this guy is, but he's some kind of like personal trainer dude. And he sends me a message on Facebook and he's basically like, Oh, Hey, like I'm interested in doing a shoot with you, um, for, you know, like here's my personal trainer website. Like, you know, I would just would like some photos for it. And, um, he used a term that I had not heard of before and it was called TFP. And now I can't remember what TFP stands for, but it basically means like, we're both doing it for free and we both get to use the photos for like whatever we want to do. It's, I guess it's kind of like an up and coming, like modeling and photographer term, um, for, you know, I've never heard of that. Yeah. I hadn't either. I can't, I wish I could remember what it's called, but it's like, I don't know. It's basically just means like we're, we're both doing it for free and we both know that going in. And so like, I, I kind of forgot about him for like a week and then I messaged him back today and, you know, driving home from work today, I was thinking like, you know, technically, I probably have the time to do this. Like, I mean, I'm sure I could make some time to photograph this guy. But, like, in my head, I was thinking, like, if he wants to set any... Because I, I emailed him back, or I sent him a message back, and basically asked him, like, what he wanted to do. Like, did he want to come over to the studio? Did he want me to go shoot him in a gym? Did he want me to shoot him outdoors? And I told him that I didn't know if I wanted to do it, but for me to get some more detail, so that way I could make a decision on whether it would be worth my time or not. And... I basically kind of made the decision in my head, like, you know, if he wants to do it for free, I'm sort of like at a point where I like, I mean, I would have done it for free if maybe he wanted to come over and do some studio shots. And that would have involved like the least amount of effort on my point, like him coming to me, him coming to my studio, me spending maybe like an hour shooting him. And then like, it's over and done with, I added like five or 10 pictures and send them back. But like, if he wants me to go to some gym and do some indoor shoot with like shitty lighting or if he wants me to go like travel and do something else like it's just not worth my time to like get my equipment together and drive somewhere and go do it like knowing that he's not going to pay me and especially now that I'm working you know a part-time job like I have even less hours in the day like if he had messaged me three months ago and I didn't have anything better to do I probably would have taken him up on it instantly but like now that my time is a little bit more at a premium like, I feel, I don't know, like, I'm really getting into this, like, paid photography thing where, like, you know, he, if he wants me to do anything more than the bare minimum of, like, him coming to my studio, then I'm not doing it for free. Well, you know, you're in an interesting spot because I think that even though I don't do photography, I think there's a lot of parallels in, like, what you're describing and, like, where I was 20 years ago. I mean, you know, when you're doing something like this, and I think this could very easily translate into, like, um, you know, you being self-employed or this being your main business. I mean, I've seen your work. Your work is awesome. And it seems like you're really like you're making strides and you're getting noticed and stuff. So, I mean, you're doing all the right things, which is awesome. Uh, but, you know, you're still brand new, right? Like, I mean, you haven't been on the cover of like some major magazine and you know, you're not an international, 
internationally known name, right? So like you still got to do the volunteer gigs. You still got to be out there, you know, making a ruckus for yourself. I mean, that's that's super appropriate for your app. But like you're kind of on the cusp of being like like that first stage of like, oh, I don't really I only do like volunteer and special occasions now. Now I charge like the basic, you know, like, you know, a nominal fee or something. But to like to to, to get rid of people who are I mean, not like, like they're not a waste of your time, but like your time is becoming more limited to where you got to really, really prioritize. And so, you know, if you have a little bit of a fee, then it discourages people who kind of like, you know, are maybe not going to get you where you need to go or it kind of like makes it more serious, like more of a big deal. You know, like I used to volunteer all the time when I started working because, you know, you got to build a clientele, you got to get out there, you got to meet people, you got to make connections. So I volunteered a ton. And then once I started getting some actual paid jobs, you know, you got to really scale back on that. And, you know, you don't want to, like, lose those friends or anything, but, you know, they have to understand that, you know, you're out to make a living or, you you know, you want to make something out of this. I mean, unless I mean, unless you're fine just volunteering forever. I mean, so that's fine, too, if that's where you're at. But it seems to me like you're the kind of guy that would want to maybe take this a little bit further. So, you know, having a little bit of a fee or just being like, oh, you know, thanks, but I, I don't really do volunteer work anymore, except for, like, special occasions because my time's so limited. So... Would love to hang out with you if you want to pay me or something like that. And, you know, kind of like, you know, it, it also portrays you as more of a serious kind of uh, resource, too. So seems like you're kind of in that transition phase, man. Yeah, it's weird. And I mean, I know a lot of people go through this, especially like, you know, coming from like a site like Game Critics, where I mean, you and I both said before, like, nobody gets paid at Game Critics. We all do it for volunteering. I mean, there's always like this question and this fear of, uh, writers, and because I follow so many video game writers and video game editors on Twitter and stuff, there's always the question of like, you know, well, like, when do you start charging for your work? Like, how do you know you're there? Like, how do you make it happen? And I mean, basically any freelance job, I mean, even like the stuff you do kind of goes this way, like whether it's writing, whether it's photography, you know, whether it's other stuff, like, and your sort of like creative job that, you know, the like common marketplace doesn't exactly like value as a nine to five. It's just weird. Like making that crossover into, you know, I've been doing this for a while, but like, can I do it professionally? Like, you know, crossing over that barrier. And that's definitely where I am right now. I mean, like I talked about on the last show, I think I just did my first paid shoot like, uh, like two weekends ago. And and, you know, in the back of my mind and maybe in the back of a lot of people's mind when they do this kind of thing, maybe they think to themselves, because I'm always thinking this about myself, thinking like, am I good enough to be charging for this? Like, am I good enough to be accepting someone's money to be doing this? Like, am I really, do I have the equipment? Am I capable of doing this for money? You know, and stuff like that. And I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I think, yes, for the most part, for the stuff that I'm doing and... um. Oh, damn it. There was another point I was going to make there, but I kind of lost my train of thought. Um, but uh, I mean, and maybe I was like always good enough to, uh, you know, to be charging money at, at some point or to be, um, you know, to be doing it in a paid way. But just like making that crossover is kind of uh, difficult, I think. Yeah, it's really tough. And it's I mean, you're kind of in actually a good position um, because you've got a husband who has a really good job. And so you're, you're able to take a little bit more risk and able to put more of yourself into like growing your business or like establishing that, which I think is really the trickiest part. I mean, when I was um, going from volunteering to like being a paid person at that time, I did have a part-time job, but that was really tough to balance trying to do this other job that I wanted to do. In addition to the part-time job that was helping to pay bills 
and I had a, a girlfriend at the time, and she was kind of chipping in a little bit, but it was really tough. I had to work uh, and stretch my dollar for a long time, and it was very, very difficult to finally like have enough money and enough um, confidence to, 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 to go the full way and to make that my full-time job. Very difficult transition, so I think you're kind of in a lucky spot because, you know, Patrick is kind of like, he's got the stable job, and that's always the best possible thing for anybody that wants to be a freelancer for anything. I mean, unless you're super established, having a partner who's got like a regular nine to fiver is really the key to it because then, you you know, your rent's covered and you got, you know, possibly you have health insurance, hopefully, and et cetera, et cetera. Like doing it from scratch on your own is, is doubly tough. So, but yeah, I mean, but you're kind of coming up. So that's exciting, dude. I mean, I've definitely seen you and you got some good shots, man. I think you've got some real skill. I think you can easily, easily make this into like a, like a for real thing. Like, I mean, if I didn't think you could do it, I wouldn't be edging you that way but <laughs> i think that you're i mean the stuff that you've shown has been pretty awesome so i think you're uh, i think you're on your way my friend well thank you i appreciate that right on right on i have uh, a couple of things i wanted to talk about like r- real briefly um i i want to come back to the orville i know we talked about it last time in the banter but i've watched a bunch more episodes since then have you um did you talk to Patrick about it? Have you seen uh, any of the episodes? Uh, I haven't seen it. I don't think I talked to Patrick about it, but I did see some of your follow-up tweets about it. Dude, the show is, like, so good. It is stupid. <laughs> it's stupid. Uh, we've been watching it, like, I mean, just we're just, like, addicted to it. Like, my son really wants to watch it all the time. He was, like, pretending to be on the ship and, like, doing, you know, he's acting like a Star Trek dude and... <laughs> All this stuff. He wanted me to wake him up at a certain time because he needed to get up for his uh, rotation on the bridge. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm not, I'm not going to wake you up too early because I'm fucking sleeping, kid. But I'll, I'll get you up when I get up and you can go do your shift and, you know, an alarm to be done. And I mean, like, I got to say, like, the show is actually really good. I mean, I um, I would suggest you go see it. I would be curious as to you, uh, your opinion and Patrick's opinion. Uh, but as someone who, like me, who, like, likes Star Trek but is not a crazy Star Trek fan... Um, it is like hitting all of the right notes for me. Like it feels very much like the Star Trek series that I never saw. Like it feels like it would fit totally right in with the rest of it, but like funnier, but not stupid funny. Like it's not just fart jokes in space. Like you might think that the creator of Family Guy would do. Like man, I know that's for sure what I expected, and it's absolutely not that at all. Um, I gotta say, I mean, although there is jokes, like there's definitely some laughs, but there's a lot of like heavier themes like really appropriate for like a star trek kind of a series i mean in the third episode they talked about some really heavy stuff that was like super applicable to to like living today about like gender and stuff which i thought was like really hard hitting and the next one after that had a really like really tough ethical question which i think was also really appropriate given today's like military and peace talks and stuff i mean like you wouldn't expect it out of the show but like we're sitting here like having discussions after the episodes about what do we think about how did that go? What would we have done? And like, I can't remember the last TV show I watched where I turned to my family and we had like a discussion about current events afterwards. So, I mean, that's pretty high praise in our house. And especially coming from like a homeschool perspective, there's like a lot of teaching moments on the show, on this uh, particular show, excuse me. Uh, And I'm just stunned. I'm really stunned. I think it's really funny. I really like the cast. I like the stories so far. I mean, if you're going to go into it with like the attitude of like the super fucking Star Trek nerd about like, oh, well, dilithium crystals don't put out that much electricity there's no way that could have happened or you know if you try to poke holes in it like it's gonna fall apart because these guys are clearly not writing the show to be um you know like a believable hard science kind of show like i mean there's obviously um a lot of shortcuts they take a lot of things they just kind of hand wave away i mean one thing that i thought was pretty pretty major 
is that they never have a language barrier. Like, everybody they meet always speaks English, which at first I was like, what the fuck's up with that? And they don't bother explaining it or anything. But after a while, I'm like, well, you know, whatever. I'm just going to let it go because the show is really entertaining. I really like where it's going and I like what they're talking about. So for them to not have to spend 10 minutes every episode figuring out how to speak the language is fine. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like, if you can't get over that kind of a thing, maybe you're not going to enjoy the show. And not just you, but I mean, people listening, like the you in general here. Um, so there's that kind of a thing. But if you can relax a little bit and just kind of go with the flow of it, I think it's actually like a surprisingly good show. Like, we have been watching at least two or three episodes a night, and uh, we just, I've been loving it. I'm really glad to hear that it's been uh, renewed for an, at least one more season. And although I hear the critics didn't care for it very much, every single person I've talked to who's seen it loves it. So check it out, dude. I, I was not a believer. I was not on board with this until I watched a couple episodes, and I'm, I am all in right now. I'm loving this show. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. What platform are you watching it on? You're watching it on Hulu. Okay. I think, yes, that is that is where I'm watching it now. I don't know if it's anywhere else. It could be. But my wife got Hulu for some reason. I don't know why. She's in charge of all the that kind of a thing. Like She's in charge of managing all of our media, <laughs> media channels and all that. So we had it, and she's like, oh, yeah, it's free. So the whole first season is on Hulu right now, and that's where we're catching it. Okay, I'll have to... Um look this up because i'm definitely i mean now that i've heard you talk about it so much and you know knowing what i know about star trek um i'm definitely interested in checking it out i don't have hulu so maybe there's a different way that i can find it or maybe i can like i don't know sign up for like a free trial or something and like watch some episodes or something but i will do my best to uh get patrick in on this and watch some of it and then we can report back with what we think of the show Yeah, I would be really curious because, um, you know, after watching this and seeing like how nuts my son went over it, I'm like, oh, man, you know, I wasn't really planning on exposing him to like Star Trek and stuff until a couple more years. But he's eating this up. And I mean, granted, I think the plot lines are very easy to follow. They're very simple. And um, there's a lot of like light moments to kind of balance out the other moments. So it's not just like really super talky, which is great. The pace is really snappy. But he's eating it up so much. I was like, oh, dang, maybe it's time to bust out um, Next Generation for him. Maybe he would like that, too. <laughs> so I think he probably would like Next Generation. I would be curious if you guys coming from Next Generation would like this. Like, does it work both ways? I don't know. So let me know what you guys think if you um, check it out. You should definitely check it out. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> what else do you have? Um, Not a lot, dude. I, I One other thing. I will say, I, we recently, last week, went to the Seattle International Children's Film Festival once a year, hosted in Seattle, obviously, like the name implies, and they have short films from all across the world. It's actually a really large program uh, with, like, many, many, many films, and I believe that the, f- the children's section is actually uh, part of a larger festival in general, and in fact, Seattle's actually a really good uh, town for movies. We get a lot of small movies, independent movies. We used to have a ton of really small independent film houses. We have less now because of the economy and just the way that Seattle's going in general. But we still have a fair number. And the Seattle International Film Festival comes every year, which is amazing. I've been to it, I think, twice. I've loved it. Haven't been able to go recently because of childcare reasons. But when my son is older, we are definitely going to like start going back to that. Because me and my wife just like adored going to the film festival. It's so fun. Um, but we just went to the International Children's Film Festival. They had two programs. The first one was a bunch of animated shorts. And the second one was a bunch of um, fictional, real actor, real people shorts. So the first section was really good. It was uh, a number of different, uh, like I said, animated shorts. 
some were really abstract and weird. Some definitely really connected. Uh, there was some that were talking about like kind of aging, the themes of aging. There were also themes of like believing in yourself and taking risks. And so there was really good. I liked those a lot. Um, the second program though was much heavier. That one was aimed at more of a teen audience, but we decided that my son was um, generally mature enough and uh, interested enough that he wanted to see these films. And there was actually some really powerful stuff. The first one was about, uh, it was in America and it was about a, I mean, I don't know that she was transgender, but there was a girl who was playing on a boys basketball team and she wasn't telling anybody that she was a girl. Um, they didn't really address whether she was trans or whether she just wanted to be on the men's team. But that was actually a really powerful, uh, really powerful short film because it was all about her drive because she wanted to be the best. And she felt like if she was going to be on the women's team, she was never going to get anywhere because no one takes the women's team seriously. So she wanted to be on the men's team and just, you know, how she competed with them and what that was like. And then eventually she gets found out and it just has a, a really powerful ending. I thought it was really, really good. There's also um, a short that was about child brides in Africa where this one really uh, destitute village was in need of some cows. And so the leader of the village agreed to trade his daughter for some cows. And the daughter was like, oh my God, what? And so that was like super powerful because I mean, it was actually like on location with um, those, you know, those people. I don't know how much of that was um, fictional. I'm guessing probably a lot of it was, but just seeing that area and that the fact that that is a real issue that still happens in Africa was really like, oh man, that was really strong. A um, couple other good ones as well. There was one about... Um, Oh, gosh. Oh, one that talked, of course, about, like, the international refugee crisis, and they showed kids from around the world who were actual refugees. Super powerful stuff. I mean, I think I cried, like, three times during that second half of the film festival. It was just, like, really, really emotional stuff. So I, I loved it. I thought it was really good. I'm glad that I uh, was able to go with my family. That's exactly the kind of stuff that we like to do because we are homeschoolers. You know, I mean, learning from a book is fine, but there's so much other learning to happen in life, in daily, daily living, in seeing people around the world. And I think this was a perfect example of getting a little tiny slice of what it might be like for other people, uh, whether they're here in America or, or internationally, just opening my son's eyes and knowing that, you know, what is around him in Seattle is not the only thing. Uh, really valuable. Really, really enjoyed it um, greatly. Good times for sure. So we're going to do that again next year, and hopefully he'll be old enough soon to go to the full International Film Festival. So... That's that's pretty much all I've got. Um, do you guys, you guys probably do, uh, do you have any film festivals in New Orleans? I don't know if you do. You haven't been there for that long. I mean, do you know? Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Like, there probably are. I know that New Orleans is one of those cities. I'm sure there might be a lot of cities like this, but it's one of those cities that has, like, they, they like, film a lot of stuff here because I think they give, like, big like tax breaks or whatever it's like production companies that choose to film in new orleans um so i'm sure that there's some kind of film festival around but i haven't uh, i haven't researched it or maybe been around long enough to like know the ins and outs of it here well you should find out man i always find it so interesting to go to one of those things because the films are just so different you get such different perspectives and such different um approaches i mean even if a movie ends up being bad there's always i mean for me at least anyway there's always something to learn from it like always something that's like made me think in a different way or something that just seems so unlike what we would get here in america so even if the movies are bad and, and you know they're not always bad i mean i think often they're very good but even if they're bad i think it's worth going so <laughs> anyway i love film festivals uh and that's that's me so you got anything <laughs> else for banter uh i don't think so i think uh 
I've lived a pretty boring life for the past week, so I don't think I have much else. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, let's talk about some games. 